After the Time Out podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches talking basketball on the court, off the court, and anything in between. On today's episode of the After the Time Out podcast, we sit down with Coach Jason Tucker, head boys basketball coach at Taft High School in Chicago. Coach Tucker has also been the head coach at Luther North College Prep and Sullivan High School. We talked to Coach Tucker about running a high school program during COVID, what it's like to coach a larger public school team versus a smaller private school team, and how to schedule, scout, and prepare a successful high school program. Enjoy the show. So obviously the biggest question right now, we're all in a pandemic. We're, we're not playing, at least in Illinois here. Um, and we've kind of asked every coach this in a different version that we talked to. What do you, what, for high school kids, what do you feel the layoff, what the, what's the effect of the layoff for, for kids right now? See, like when you when you talk about that, I, you know, one thing that really comes to mind is the situation that I think some of these kids are in. You know, um, I know a lot of kids, and I'm not speaking for every kid because I don't know every kid, but I know like the kids that are, you know, outside of Chicago in the in the suburbs who maybe have a little bit more, um, you know, means to get to get to be able to get into a gym, or they have a great court around their area that they're allowed to still get into. Um, you know, I think that they obviously are going to struggle from that no matter what. It's not, it's, it's not the same thing, but I worry more so about our kids in Chicago and more so from our kids in the really rough parts of Chicago. Um, you know, these, this layoff, we talk a lot about the mental aspect of this all. I know as a coach, I've struggled countless times in the last nine months. And, uh, I think everybody here, you know, has at some point, you know, in their life and mental you know, mental illness is a real thing and I take it very serious. And uh, I've talked to my boys, you know, countless times. I, you know, I try to FaceTime them individually about uh, once every two weeks just to check in on them and make sure that they're good mentally. And, um, you know, to be honest, a lot of our seniors were the ones I was worried about the most. Um, the younger guys, you know, they, you know, especially a couple of the freshmen, the sophomore, they know they're going to play again, you know. Yep. And uh, my thing is my seniors are great kids. I don't know if we have many that are going to play at the next level. We might have one. Um, so he kind of knows like, Hey, you know, this might not be the light at the end of the tunnel for us or for him, for him, for myself, but the rest are really struggling. The guys that were not playing much last year because they, we were very senior led last year. Um, those guys are really struggling because they didn't play much as juniors and they're like, hey, now this is our opportunity. And they're struggling. I mean, I, I've had flat out Ted kids tell me that coach, like, you know, not, not anything really serious, but like, you know, they're breaking down, they're crying, they're it's tough. And, yep. you know, the kids are smart enough too to understand that this is a real situation, right? Like people are dying every day. Um, you know, I, I personally, our mailman passed away from it. He was two weeks ago, he was here. Two weeks later, he was gone, and uh, it was the craziest thing. And one of my close friends, her her father's in the hospital on a ventilator right now. So like, they know this. They know this the severity of what's going on. I know they want to play. You know, I think a lot of us as coaches want to play, um, 
but I think that the, the biggest thing is, is I, what we always preach to our kids, even, even before this pandemic every year is be a part of something bigger that, or be a part of, be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And I think that we preach that more now than we've had ever, because at the end of the day, like basketball is nothing when it comes to what's going on in our world right now. And like, not only are we dealing with the pandemic, right? Like, the, the social part of social yeah. justice part of everything yep. is even 20 times harder, especially for our kids in the city of Chicago, where, you know, our population, we have a lot of African-American kids and, uh, you know, they are, they're struggling with that part too. So, um, you know, it, it's a tough time for kids. It's a tough time for everybody. And, um, you know, the only thing that we can do as coaches is continue to be positive and prepare them for hopefully what, you know, the worst and hope the best. And I think we're all hopefully going to see a light at the end of the tunnel here soon. I hope. So you, you kind of touched on it as well. What are, I, I think this is important. And we, again, this is something we've been asking every coach just because it's the time we're in, right. We're all trying to figure it out together. Nobody, nobody's ever done this. Like basketball coaches, we know how to coach, right? Like we're no, okay. We're doing this in the fall. We're doing this in the winter. And then you have a pandemic and you're like, Oh, well, we have to do all this. So, what are the, some, some of the ideas and things you've been doing to support your kids' mental health? Now, you touched on a few of them, but I think it's important because everybody's looking for ideas and maybe something that you say can spark an idea that somebody can take and make their own to help their kids. Absolutely. So, you know, for us, like we, we, we do Zoom workouts, you know, a couple of days out of the week. We do ball handling. We do some upper body or lower body strengthening stuff with my assistant coaches. Every Sunday we meet. And we, and we either talk about something that's going on in the world, not even basketball related. We talk about what's going on academically with all of them individually. Mm. Uh, and then what I love to do is I love to get guests on with them. Um, I've been very fortunate the last few weeks. I've had Kiefer Sykes come on and talk to our kids. Alfonso McKinney took the time out of his day from the Los Angeles Lakers and spent an hour with my guys. Uh, we, we've had, you know, a couple college coaches, my old college coach, come on and talk to them. Um, you know, and just to kind of give them like, you know, a little bit of hope and, and, and understand like how real uh, the, the situation is and how hard it is to get to a level like a guy like Alfonso or Kiefer and, you know, just to kind of pique their interest too. And, you know, we also had some other things go on, like we did some raffling type things where, you know, when they did the, um, uh, what was it, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, NBA draft, I sent out a, you know, a link to our group page. I said, Hey, let's, Let's do a mock draft tonight. Everybody send me a mock. Everybody send me a mock draft right now. Whoever gets the most right on this mock draft, I'm dropping off a Taft t-shirt at your house this week. So, you know, they ate that up, you know, so it got them excited. And, um, you know, we did stuff like that. I did, gave out stuff for participation during the summer when we had to, when we did more workouts, um, you know, through Zoom, because we were never allowed in the CPS to see kids ever. So, you know, I would drop off stuff to them. Like we would have, we had regular camp, you know, we give out a couple basketballs, things like that. I tried to keep everything as possible, as close as possible to real as we could, which we know is not a realistic thing, but, you know, I just try to keep it as, as positive as I can. Okay. So let me flip it to the basketball side, I guess. Um, I've, all, I've been thinking like, what is, it's kind of a two-part question what is the trickle down effect for summer and next year of all this, right? Cause the summer schedule might get affected as well. We don't know, especially in Illinois. And then 
brands talk a little bit about transfers out of CPS, especially some of those high level players and kind of the effect on that. Well, I know what he wants out of summer. So I know part of this answer. Yeah. So I I've been a big, I mean, one thing I do is I do use my social media a lot. Um, some people may not like it. Some people do. I'm not negative by any, by any stretch of the means, but um, ever since this went down, I've been very, I've been a realist about it. I, I didn't think we were going to play in November. I never thought that. Um, now I would never, I never I kept my boys positive. I, you know, I said, guys, there's a chance, right. But, you know, we got to be realistic too and understand what's going on. But um, you know, for, for me, I have always thought the best plan for us right now was to have a summer season. And if that was a six week season where for us, for example, as much as I don't like it, if we played just a CPS conference schedule, I would be happy with that. I'd be extremely happy with that. I think if every team played a conference schedule, then maybe a couple non-conference games, maybe you end up playing 10 to 12 games. I think that's a blessing. I really do. I personally do. Um, and I know we have a lot of people who are upset that Indiana, Iowa, you know, Wisconsin are playing and they have every right. I mean, to each their own, I'm never going to bash anybody for their beliefs. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, to, to play on the side of caution, this is what we're doing right now. And um, that's just, that's just the, the problem with that. And then with the transfers, you know, that, I, you know, kids transfer all the time, especially in the city. It's, it, it happens every year. Um, obviously they're not normally transferring much out of the state, but in the recent, the recent years, there have been more kids especially more high profile kids leaving. If you think of like, you know, Khalil Whitney was here in Chicago and then he went off to New York and I think it was Namari Burnett moved out to California, I think. So we have, you know, some of the greatest talent, I think in, you know, in the United States. And, um, but I think that the pandemic obviously pushed a lot of kids. Um, and I think that the thing is too, is I think there's been a lot of kids who are lower classmen who left that I think will be back as soon as this is over too. And I think that's a reality. I think this, uh, a lot of these kids are going to come back because they know, I mean, Indiana basketball is not Chicago basketball. I hate to say that. There's going to probably be some people mad at me. Um, <laughs> it's great basketball by any stretch of the means. It's great basketball, but I don't think anything's better than the city of Chicago or in the state of Illinois. I don't. So. Well, we're all a little biased. Um, a little I, I'm so, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, in Todd's questions, a lot about the players. So I kind of want to flip it to, you know, you as a coach in this time, you know, how are you improving personally as a coach during this layoff? And, you know, uh, second kind of part of that is, is there something you picked up that surprised you that you never thought about before just in watching basketball? Well, yeah, you know, so for me, what was, what was a struggle to begin with is I had a couple of um, like two sophomore coaches and a lower level, uh, a freshman coach that stepped down. So during that time, and that was just because one was having a, you know, a child, the other one was starting his master's degree. Um, so I was put in a situation to hire new coaches during a pandemic. So, and I'm a very big, and you guys know, I mean, coach, you know this about me is I'm a very big people person. I love to talk and mm -hmm. I love to meet people in person and talk to them. And, you know, this whole Zoom interview thing was a really, you know, tough thing to start doing. So I had to hire three new coaches and all through Zoom. So that was, that was definitely different and challenging. Um, you know, one thing I thought that I, that I really appreciated as a coach was just getting to expand my horizons with a lot more people that I never did before. You know, I'd, I'd see on Twitter, Hey, we have this zoom session going on. And it was like a random Twitter thing, sign up for free. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm sitting here in my basement right now watching nothing because there was nothing. On. I'm, I'm in. Yep. So I would just click in and, you know, try to absorb as much as I possibly could. 
Um, you know, and a lot of things that I just, I took away this summer were as crazy as it sounds, a lot of cliche things that I'm just going to like read into my program. Um, one thing I really loved is someone mentioned, I can't remember the coach's name off the top of my head. He goes, you know, we don't plan for four quarters. We play for five quarters. And when I heard that, it blew my mind. Like, what, do you, what does he mean? We're ready for five quarters. He wants his team conditioned and ready to play five quarters every single game. So four quarters seems easy. And he always says to his kids, you know, two minutes left in the game, guys, we're good. Like it, it, this is the, four, we got one more quarter to go boys. So I've been throwing that kind of in my kids' minds this year that, Hey, we're not going to be a four quarter team. We're going to be a fifth quarter team. Cause if that chance we go to overtime, we're ready to go. We're going to be mm. mentally. We're already thinking in our head about, we got this man. We're in the fifth quarter right now. We're good. So I, I love that. That was one of the biggest things. Um, and you know, just the individual development stuff. I looked up a lot more things like that. And, uh, you know, to me, the biggest thing was just making more connections with people. Cause at the end of the day, you know, we all know that that goes beyond, you know, we love competing against each other. We might hate each other for that 32 minutes that we're playing <laughs> against each other. Right. But, you know, at the end of the night, we're buddies, you know, I, I think of an instance for like, uh, our, you know, our, our, our rival lane tech, Nick, Nick Legalbo, who's one of my really good, close, close coaching friends. You know, we had a battle this year and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we love each other. I, you know, that guy got me in USA basketball and things like that. I mean, the guy's a great guy, but you know, for 32 minutes, I didn't even want to look at him. So we all know that it's all about connections. So I hope that answers the question guys. Yeah. Todd, Todd and I run a podcast together and for four years we coached against each other. So oh, they, I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. um, so just now, you know, with, with basketball kind of back on, um, you know, who are some of the teams that you're watching college pro, whoever, you know, I really have loved watching Rutgers play this year. Yes. So they've been a blast. Um, U of I has been great. Michigan is unbelievable. Um, you know, it's been tough not watching a little bit of Duke. I know that they just had their first game back the other night with Shire coaching. So that was cool to see. Um, NBA wise, obviously you guys all see it behind me. I'm a diehard Bulls fan. Um, it's been kind of nice to see the growth that they've made in the past nine games mm-hmm. um, under Billy Donovan. Um, and I, I'm just a basketball junkie. So whatever's on, I'll watch and, um, you know, just look at clips and stuff on YouTube or whatever. But yeah, I really, really have enjoyed watching Rutgers play. Uh, my assistant coach is a diehard Northwestern guy. So I've watched the Northwestern stuff just to kind of, you know, jab back and forth with him a little bit, but yeah. And um, another, one of my other assistant coaches, his buddy is a coach, was a coach at university of uh, Indianapolis, but I forgot where they're at now, but I've watched a few of their games um, and they were good. And I've also, uh, you know, watched up a couple of my kids are actually playing still right now. One of my boys is at Judson university and he's been playing a lot as a freshman. Um, so some of the teams are playing some of these smaller schools and a lot of these D3 are going to be playing here in the next few weeks too. So I'm excited to watch some of those, those games. So, you know, obviously coach, you and I coach, uh, I would say maybe three miles from each other, but a, a world of different style of style of school. So kind of let's talk about the, the struggles of, of coaching in a large public school that you're not getting the same type of contact that those other suburban and private schools have had. You know, what, what is the difference in the large city school compared to, you know, you and get into you in and in a different question down the line, but, you know, what is the difference in those large city schools compared to those smaller suburban coaches? And, and you're talking more so like as of what the current situation is now, right? Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. I mean, well, obviously, you know, CPS shut down everything for us. Um, the only time I have actually physically seen my kids, I drove by a park, they all got together and played, I waved out my car, said hi, and that was really much the end of it, you know, because I'm a very big stickler of doing things the right way. And, you know, I didn't know what's legal or not legal at this time to go see a kid playing at a park. But, you know, for, for us, we, we've had nothing. I have not ran a drill with any of my kids since we lost to Schaumburg in the regional semifinal game. So for me, that was the toughest thing. And, you know, um, I also had two freshmen that I was very much high, very high on that were going to be brought up to the varsity level this year that now didn't get any development from me from June on. Okay. So essentially those boys next year are going to be sophomores if we don't play, right. If we don't play, they're going to be sophomores and they're not going to, they're freshmen. That's what they are then. So that kills a year of their development. It kills a year of the sophomores, the juniors. And then, you know, we already talked about the seniors part of it all, but so that that's been very tough just because, you know, for instance, we're Taft high school, we're looking in Chicago and then we have Ridgewood high school, who's two miles away from me, who's having practice because they're allowed to, they're having individual workouts because they're allowed to. And my kids are upset, right? Coach, it's not fair. It's not fair. Fellas, like, there's nothing we can do. And, and the biggest thing that I feared was we were going to have kids transfer. That's honestly what I thought. Um, I thought for a while that the city wouldn't play and the suburbs would. And that's when I thought it would get really crazy. But um, thank goodness we have not been put in that situation at all yet. But um, yeah, so that's, that was the toughest part with this pandemic is not being able to do anything with them. You know, I know you guys are having workouts with masks on. I would have loved to have done that. I would have loved to have been in a gym, even if it's, four kids, one hour, four kids come another hour. I would have been all in to help these guys, but you know, our hands are tied and that kind of puts us in a tough situation that if we do get to play anytime soon, I think we're, you know, 10 steps behind everybody else in, in, in a sense, right? Maybe not from a five on five standpoint, but maybe from an individual skill standpoint. And I hope they're working on their own, but I also want them to be safe. That's the first, first thing for me. All right, so you you just talked about it a little bit. My situation, right? I'm a first-year head coach, Piatone, Illinois. I have two seniors graduating. I'm having 10 juniors come back. I got 12 guys coming from the sophomore level. I don't know what your roster situation is, but I wanted to talk about, like, you, you obviously said we missed out on all this time. They're not playing. You're not getting to work with them. I'm not really getting to work with my guys either. A little bit here and there I've gotten. You probably got a little bit more new, but, like, in terms of evaluating those guys going into next year, right? Because there's always a decision to make, right? Some guys are going to play more than others and you got to make that decision. What are some of the things you're thinking about of evaluating throughout the off season, um, you know, to kind of create, to create your roster and put guys in roles? Yeah. Well, I, you know, that's an interesting question. Cause I was, when I first started as a head coach back in 2010, I was the head basketball coach at Luther North college prep we had 162 kids in our whole school. So it was really easy to come up with 15 right. guys to play basketball, <laughs> right? And then I moved over, you know, we closed down in 2017. I went to Sullivan and uh, I think they had about 800 kids. So it wasn't that much of a difference, right? Then I get the head coaching job at TAF and there's 4,000 kids in the whole school. So you're talking about a major difference. And, um, you know, some guys will get 25 guys that want to come out for a team. I'm not, I swear to you guys not. I've had 100 kids come to a tryout, 100 kids. 
And you know, you know a good amount of the kids because there's open gyms and things like that. But sometimes you get surprised, you know, but I also put, there's a lot of things that I, as a coach, uh, look at beforehand. And, and that's number one, their commitment with the summer. You know, we always say, and I'm sure you guys are always, this, every, every coach is the same way. Yeah, summer is, summer's not mandatory, but neither is your playing time during the year. We've all said that, right? Um, I look for leaders, you know, absolutely. I need leaders on the team. Um, academics, number three, we're always checking up on academics. So if we have kids that try out, the kid looks unbelievable. First thing I'm going to say is, hey, is this kid eligible? And that's the first thing we want to know right away. If we're going to have to deal with a kid that academically cannot just, he's not going to be able to step on the floor. Um, the quality of the kid. All right. We, we, we don't want any bad seeds around us. Um, and that's a tough part. And then also I've been in situations where I think that um, a kid needs it. And I know that that sounds a little crazy. I've kept 17 or 18 on a roster before because there's two or three kids. Sometimes I feel like, listen, if this kid doesn't come in this gym from August till March, this kid's going to be doing something on the streets that's not going to be good for him or his family. So I would make that choice. And sometimes it's backfired on me. I'm not going to lie to you, but I always want to help out kids. That's always been my number one thing is uh, I, I had some really good people who influenced me as a kid. I could have went the other way. Um, and there was always somebody there to push me, you know, to the right way. And I always wanted to be that guy and give somebody a chance. Now that doesn't mean, you know, playing time is not guaranteed, but, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, you want to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And that was a big reason why I said to myself, I, I, I want to keep some of these kids because they need it. They really do. So hope that helped that. I hope that's a good answer, fellas. That's a great answer. All right. So let's talk about schedule. Uh, I'm a play anybody anywhere guy. Like, like if you got an opening this year, I'll come play you. I, I don't care. I'm, we're a small little school, but I, I, I really will. We'll come play. Um, but you obviously have different factors, right? You're, you got some, you got some teams you play, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so when you look at scheduling, right, are you scheduling your talent, you know, and maybe if you got a really good team this year, you're adding some extra games or you're kind of molding it to your system. How, how are you looking at scheduling in a, in a high school season? Can I talk, can I kind of talk about, you know, 10 years ago, how I felt with it and how I do it now. <laughs> yeah, and, and, honestly, and honestly, God, it's the same. I feel the same way. So when I was coaching at Luther North and I was a 1A basketball coach, I wanted to play a bunch of three and four A teams. The issue was the three and four A teams didn't, didn't want to play the one A team because yeah. they have everything to lose and we have everything to gain. Right. So I would always be like, hey, put them on the schedule. Let's get them. Coach, would you want to play? Oh, we just, we're, we're, we're tight. Then two weeks later, there might be, hey, I got two openings. Like, what? Come on, man. Yeah. Uh, no, but for like for an example, when I was at Luther North in 2015, we were a great team. We were 24 and six and made it to the Sweet 16. And um, there was a team at Aquin Catholic. And mm -hmm. this was all the Freeport. way out. Yeah, Freeport, Freeport. Aquin. Yeah. We drove all the way out there because they were the number two ranked team in class 1A. And it was like during a snowstorm. It took us three and a half hours to get there. And everyone's like, oh, Aquin's the best. Aquin's great. And that's all I kept fed my boy, feeding my boys all that two weeks preparing for them. They had a great team. But, man, we went up there and, and we took care of business up there that day. Um, so, for me, I've always have been, that's, that's the best right there. Let's go. Just like your mindset is. That's the best. Let's go. Um, and, th and that was a struggle because the coaches before me at Taft did, did, did a great job of scheduling tough teams. I love that. 
but the team that I inherited was not ready to play those teams my first year. I mean, we, we, we took our, we took our lickings my first year at Taft and that was tough, but we kept those teams. We wanted to keep playing the best of the best. I know we weren't running from anybody and that's something I sell my kids. Like, listen, guys, we're not going to go play one, a two, a teams right now. You need to be competing with these teams that are the top 25 right now in the Chicago sometimes that Michael O'Brien is saying is, is the best. Let's do it. We may not be as talented, but we're going to be tough as, you know, tough as nails and go after everybody. That's how it has to be. Um, you know, we had a lot of really close games last year against some really good teams. And sometimes, you know, the teams would pull away the last few minutes. Like, you know, when we played Niles North, we, we ran a junk defense. We were up four points in the third quarter and we just ran out of gas. And we played Whitney Young. We were down two at halftime of those guys. And, you know, that talent was just unbelievable. But we weren't afraid. You know, I would call a timeout. I'm, I'm taking away from your timeout thing, guys. But, you know, I'd call a timeout and we're up four, 10 to 10 to 3, 10 to 4, just to use a timeout to say, look, they're human. They're 17 years old, just like you. Look at that. And it would be a waste of a timeout. But sometimes that's like, hey, that got them even more wild to go out there and play. So um, to answer your question, like we want to play the best of the best. I, there's We're class 4A. We're, we have 4,000 kids. I can't say I can go play one and two A, three A schools or really, you know, not very good four A schools and, and go to a regional meeting, even though it's all online and say, hey, Evanston, hey, you know, uh, Loyola, here's who we played. They know, you know, no, we can't hide. So if I'm if I'm showing up and I'm almost beating Fenwick and playing teams tough, I think that shows something. We had a really good seed for for what Taft basketball has been for a while, and I think it's going to get better. So we're not running, man. We're going for everybody. So with that schedule, then I want to talk about like your scouting process because I I'm a big scouting guy. I love it. Right. I think that makes a huge difference. And when I was at Vider on the girls' side, I think that's what differentiated us to win the regionals we won and, and yeah. go as far as we did. What is your scouting process like? Obviously you have teams in your conference. You're probably they're you know, hopefully they're pretty consistent with coaches. So you kind of know what they're running, but talk us through your scouting process, you know, how, how that goes throughout the year, maybe off season, what you do there. You're talking about more so with the teams that we're playing against. Yeah. The teams that you're playing against yeah. in your league and then, you know, yeah. okay. You get a team, you put them on your schedule. How are you getting ready for them? Man, so I, yeah, I'm crazy. So, you know, if I know that we're scheduling a team, you know, for the next following season, I'm going to go probably look at some of those teams in the summer leagues that they're in, as crazy as that sounds. I kind of want to get an early idea right away of what, what we're going to play. Now, you know, in summer, you're not going to get everything, but just to kind of already get an idea of what they do defensively and things like that, I'm already kind of, the wheels are already turning. Um I, I will, I'm a guy and a guy that wants to see a team at least three to five times. And I'm not a guy that likes to get film. Um, I do love film. Don't get me wrong. I need to see a team in person. And I think that that's something that's missing big time with younger coaches nowadays. And I'm only 36, but you know, they don't know what it means to go out and grind at, you know, after a, a 3:30 to 5:30 practice to go drive all the way up to Rockford to go play to watch a 7:30 mm -hmm. game. Like I had to in my Luther North days in that crazy conference we were in driving up to go see Mooseheart and Aurora, you know, from <laughs> Chicago, right. um, you know, I want to go see what they look like in person because, you know, on film, you get breakdown plays, things like that, but you really get to see the speed and athleticism of a kid of a team uh, um, better that way. Um, so we'll go, we'll go anywhere between three to five times to see people. Now that, 
you know, what happens sometimes is I over-evaluate and that becomes a problem. Um, or, you know, there might be a time where we only see somebody once or twice because scheduling wise, it's just not as, as easy as it is. And a kid doesn't do anything. And then he goes off against us. Like, you know, for example, the film I sent you guys against Fenwick, a kid hit seven threes against us. Yeah. You know, we try to do whatever we could to stop the two division one monsters they have, but we got a kid, even though it's in the scout report, corner shooter, man, kid buried us seven threes, I think in that game. So, you know, sometimes you overthink and then sometimes you, you think you have it, all the answers and then someone surprises you every single time. So, but uh, we're very detail oriented. Um, we try to pride ourselves to, to do everything at a college level as much as we could. Um, I think the kids kind of get sick sometimes of seeing the board before the game and how I have like 16 paragraphs up about everything. So um, I'm very particular. Um, you know, my, my assistant coaches are some of the best. I love them, man. But, you know, I, I always want to see everything too. I, I'll send them out to, to, to do film for me, but I always like, hey, can you just send me that film because I want to see it too, you know? because I'm at practice, I, I still got to see what they're doing. I take their word, but I still got to see it. <laughs> you so. could you could rename this podcast, the scouting nerds podcast. And, and Todd and I would fit right in with that answer coach. So we both agree. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really want to focus on, you know, you, you've kind of coached the gamut as far as, like you said, different size schools, so, you know, take this out of COVID now, you know, you, you've coached at a Catholic school, Lutheran school, you know, a, a midsize, as you said, public school, now a very large public school, you know, kind of take through for, you know, other coaches that are at a variety of different size schools, you know, I, like Todd said, he coaches in Piatone, Illinois, like myself, I coach at an all girls high school. So throughout your career, what have you noticed are the benefits and challenges of each kind of size school? Well, the first thing I want to say is every single class has great basketball. Um, and I think that's one thing that I value very much as my experiences. You know, there were some 1A schools, man, that would beat the, the, the lights out of some of these 4A schools up here. You know, that Moosehart team that won the state championship back in 1A, that was, you got 6'7", six, 7'2", seven, seven, and 6'10", and on your front line. You're going to beat a lot of good teams, Right. Um, and then, you know, being at Sullivan, the two-way level, there's some very good teams all over the place. And then obviously in the four-way level, that's the best of the best, right? But um, there's obviously so many differences. For me, when I was at Luther North, it was, everything's been like a family-like situation everywhere I've been. I can honestly say that. But when you have 160 kids in the whole school, you kind of get to know every single kid in the whole school. Because what are they doing on Friday night? All 160 of those kids are probably coming to the basketball game. And, um, you know, we did a great job of, of creating an environment and turning a program around there where, you know, basketball was like, you know, we were really making some strides there before we closed down. Um, but, you know, the toughest thing I think at times was, you know, obviously keeping the doors open. I knew when I took over that job in 2010 that they signed a five-year lease, or I'm sorry, I think it was an eight-year lease to stay open with the church that took over the building in the first place. Um, but we, uh, you know, so every year we really, really needed to get butts and seats. It was extremely important. Um, and the tough thing was, you know, we're competing with St. Pat's down the street. We're competing with Notre Dame. There's a lot of really good private schools in that area that had more prestige. And I'm just going to be honest with you as a school. Um, and that really took away from us. The biggest thing was it was a Lutheran school and there was no other Lutheran, Lutheran schools in the Chicagoland area. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it just wasn't going to be able to, to, to stay alive anymore. So that was a tough situation. Um, you know, then going over to Sullivan, 
um, I think that was probably my most rewarding job I've ever had. And it was probably one of my most fun years of coaching. Um, those kids, man, I'll tell you, uh, to this day, I, you know, I love all my kids, but those kids were special. Not saying that they were the most talented kids ever, but they really bought in that one year that I was there. Um, and, you know, family circumstances were one of the main reasons why I left. Um, you know, I, I'm sure I think coach knows, you know, my mother went paralyzed, partially paralyzed about three years ago. And we live in Elmhurst, Illinois, and Rogers Park is an hour from Elmhurst in traffic. So I was driving from Schiller Park, where I work, all the way up to Rogers Park and then driving back home to Elmhurst. And my wife was taking care of my mother because we weren't going to let my mom, you know, be anywhere else except at home. And uh, it just became a tough situation. And then Taft was just a dream job. You know, Taft was a dream job of mine. I, I've always told myself, hey, it's been great to win at 1A. And, you know, we won a, you know, a conference championship at, at Sullivan. But I'm like, if I'm going to be judged by the end of the, the time I'm doing this, 4A is the way for me to go. I really want to play with some of these big, known, big name coaches and these big name programs. And I want to build Taft to be one of the best programs at the Northwest side of Chicago. And I, I think with a lot of effort and, and time and commitment and um, bringing in the right type of kids and, you know, to the program, I think we, we can do that there. And I think we've already taken a couple steps going that way, but the, the toughest part with a 4A school, especially with the size of ours is I don't know every kid and I'm never going to know every kid there. Um, the cool thing is, is our gym has never been not packed. It's one of the coolest environments to be. We do kind of have a cracker, you know, cracker Jack box gym kind of, I wish it was bigger. Um, but you know, the place is rocking. You can't even really talk or yell or anything. And I'm a yeller as a coach. Um, and you can't really get, you know, we have to write stuff on big boards and we're calling out plays because our kids can't hear us. And that's a great thing, man. It's a great environment. And, um, the great thing about Taft too, is our admin really, really preach athletics and really, really love um, sports. Um, obviously everything's academics first. That's why we've always been, but um, you know, it's great to have um, leadership that really believes in athletics as well. Um, and then, you know, like the, the bigger, hardest thing with the smaller schools too, was, you know, obviously sharing athletes, but that's in every, you know, even at Taft, I'm sharing athletes. I'm worried that if football and basketball play at the same time this year, right. Yeah. I'm going to lose two, six, eight kids and that's going to kill us. So uh, the fact is, is, you know, with these one, a schools, two, a schools, it's very hard to share athletes in a normal environment with this pandemic. It's going to be impossible. Some of these yep. schools are really, some of them aren't going to play programs. And I mean, that's just the reality. And it's sad to think that way. So I would say that was been the, that's been the biggest, that was the biggest struggle at a small school. And the biggest struggle at a big school is, uh, walking around and you know high school kids are 15 times the size big as me and i'm you know, so i look like a kid sometimes too now so except the gray hair that'll get you now so let's uh let's get into some x's and o's a little bit so uh you know I, i'm gonna focus kind of on the offensive side you know me personally i'm a i'm a big uh you know pace and space guy and and some, with some dribble drive elements to it and some some villanova men's and women's elements some five out some you know we like to score fast uh, you know, at res with seven seconds or less. So kind of take me through your guys offense at Taft and, and just kind of uh, to, to quote uh, coach Z, you know, take away the fluff. What are the key elements to your guys offense? Well, it's, it's, it's crazy. You said a lot of stuff that came out of your mouth is kind of what we believe in too. We, we want constant space. We got, we had last year with great guards that could really penetrate and hit it, you know, hit shooters and um, we, we, I've always been a big dribble drive guy, big, big dribble drive guy. I've, you know, from, you know, coach Gamp from, 
uh, Coach Calipari from um, – oh, there's a coach up in Wisconsin, a high school coach who runs a great two. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I would just dig in about that dribble drive, and we ran that all the time at Luther North. And um, ran, we ran a lot of it at Taft, and we still run a lot of those things. Um, we're kind of the same way with the pace. We want to get out and go. We didn't get out as fast as I wanted to last year. Um, it just didn't work out well in our favor. Um, I really focused more so on breaking stuff down in a half court and just kind of using and utilizing our best like players as much as we can. And honestly, decoying a lot with our best players. Um, and that helps a lot too, especially in the Chicago Public League. We see a ton of zone, a ton of zone in the Public League. Um, that's neither here or there. <laughs> there's some reasons why, and there's some reasons why not, I guess, but we see a lot of zone. So for me, I, I, I love, absolutely love when a team goes zone because I have so many quick hitters against zones. I'd love to show you guys a ton of, ton of my stuff. Um, that will get us layups after layups or wide open threes or whatever. And, you know, um, but yeah, we, we, we really love to get out and go. Uh, we really love to, you know, pace and space and, you know, whatever, everything's going to change every other year or every year. It depends on what we have. We've always have been, I've always been, especially in the past three or four years, like if we don't have kids that can play dribble drive, I'm not going to play a dribble drive. If I have a bunch of slow kids, I'm going to, I'm going to walk the ball up the floor. We're going to run our stuff. We're going to try to execute it and do what we can. But every year it's going to change for us, to be honest with you, coach. I, you know, this year, you know, with having two, six, seven, two, six, eight kids, I'd have to utilize some more stuff. We were, you know, probably going to do um, a heck of a lot of horn stuff, a lot, a lot of stuff to keep them involved and just a whole lot of different things to, to get us going this year. But man, we're all going to be very behind. <laughs> very, very, very behind. All right. So I'll flip it to the defensive side. Um, and I saw you guys kind of mix it up at times, right? That's probably scout. That's probably necessity, right? I mean, yeah, there's oh, all yeah. kinds of different things. I only saw, you know, I only saw, I didn't see, you know, I saw those two games, but I, you know, there's lots of things that go into it. But I'm always interested in like, what's the flip? Like, okay, you're playing man and you flip to zone or you're, you know, what, what kind of triggers that for you? Is it a, is a lot of times is it a feel? Is it specific things you're looking to try to get, force a team to do? Honestly, it's purely like going back to scouting for the most part. So what's funny is one of the games I sent you guys was um, against our rival Lane Tech. Okay. Yep. That yep. game was originally started in our gym. Okay. I don't know if you guys, well, I don't know if coach, I don't know if you know this story, but we started that game. We had a, a freshman game, a freshman B game, a sophomore game at our place. The place was packed to the wall. We had to let 600 kids leave out the door. They couldn't get in. I believe it. Wasn't, wasn't it you couldn't play on the court, right? Because it was. So the court yeah. was slick. The first three minutes of the game, our kids are falling. So, you know, Nick and I, the coach at Lane came together and said, hey, we got to stop this game. That's it. So we had to reschedule that game. So we started that game in man-to-man. Okay. They were up, I think it was 12 to 12 to four or something to start that game. So when we had to restart the game, that was the score of the game, right? Thankfully, I went to go out and scout them one more time. I went and saw them play a team and that team just went strictly zone against them. And they did specific things in that zone that really gave them fits. So I'm like, hey, I got three days right now. We're going to throw in this zone. We're going to make some, make some kind of changes to our normal zone defense and we're, we're going to run it against them. And it worked really well for us that night. You know, I think we, uh, we, we went on a big, big, big run to beat them. And that was one of the first times we beat Lane in a while. So it was very nice for, for our program. 
Um, but you know, specifically I'm a big man guy. I always have been, but, um, you know, I love junk defenses, love junk defenses. And, uh, you know, when we played a few teams this year, I've done some triangle and two, um, I've done a few box and ones, just specific rules out of those two. Um, we'll mix it up with anything. It, it, to me, it, it's, it, it depends on who we're playing and what their strengths are and what we can do to try to disrupt what they do the best. So, um, but I do love man. I love picking up. I run a, I'm a big zone two, one, two guy from full court trapping. <coughs> Excuse me. That's been my uh, bread and butter for years. So I love getting turnovers in that, but uh, yeah, we love the, we, we love to guard man to man, but we were not very good at it the last two years, to be honest with you. So that has a lot to do with it, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's flip it to the, to the timeouts, right? We're the after timeout podcast. Um, and I think this is very overlooked as well uh, in, in coaching. So over the years, how have you, first question, how, is you, how have you developed your timeouts, right? What, what it goes into them, um, you know, with the different portfolio, 30s and, and things like that. Well, I think the first thing I want to make sure that I say, and I'm sure like every coach knows this, but, you know, we have one, one of our assistant coaches specifically keeps track of our timeouts the whole game. And he always tells me no matter what, at certain points of the game, how many timeouts we have. And that's a blessing, right? Um, and my coach Hoy is his name, man. That guy on it all the time. Coach Hoy is my, my best, one of my best friends. Man, and it, Dan, I never met a guy that knows the little details so much than coach Hoy was phenomenal with this. That's just that little bit of stuff, but you got to have a guy like that on your staff. Um, Number two, you know, I've always believed I've always wanted to try to keep three timeouts going into the fourth quarter. And I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know why, but I've always have wondered, always have had in my head, man, if we're in a tight game, like I really got to have these in my back pocket. Now that's not to say that if teams are going on huge runs on us, I'm going to say, Oh no, I got to keep these three. No, like we're going to call our timeouts if we need it. Um, we try to do timeouts too. If we make a big run, I think you got, it might've been in that, in that TAF game. We, we, if we make a big run and we know that they like to get it out fast and we take a four point lead, I'm going to call a timeout real quick before they try to throw it in to kind of get our defense set up in the situation in the middle of the fourth quarter. So in my head, I'm going to, I know I'm taking that quick timeout real quick. We might've just got up by four. They're getting it out as fast as they can. I want to make sure our guys aren't prancing up the floor slowly to get up the floor and save us a possession, the guard. And I hate to say that, but that's, you know, that's the reality of kids. Sometimes they might get yep. late. So um, yeah, but I'm a big believer in those timeouts, um, having them, having them in my back pockets. Um, you know, I told you earlier in the podcast that, you know, I will call a timeout every once in a while if we're playing a big, good team, really, really good team. And if we're up early, I'm going to call it and say, Hey, look at that. They're just, they're kids. They're kids just like you just to try to motivate them. And then number two, to calm them down. Cause you know, they'll play at a high when they play those guys and then they can get stumped down real quick. So it kind of calms them down too. And it kind of sets them in the reality. Like, Hey, we're here guys. Like we're good, you know? Um, and then obviously you're going to call some timeouts when things aren't going your way. Um, call some timeouts when, you know, somebody's doing something that they shouldn't be doing and you're not very happy and you let them know you're not very happy, but yeah, that, that's kind of my beliefs on timeouts. All right, so let's have some fun. We're, we're three Chicago guys. Uh, you know, we're all big Bulls fans. We all have, we're all around the same age. So let's talk about, and all three of us will do it. Let's talk about our five favorite non-quote-unquote star Bulls players of all time. So 
as I kind of said to you, you know, when I sent you the questions, so no Jordan, no Pippen, no Rodman, no Rose, et cetera. So let's each give our five. Go ahead, Coach Tucker. You are we going to go five straight or we're going one at a time here? Five straight? I'll go five straight. I'm going to go five straight? All right, yeah, go five straight. That's I'll fine, tell you my man. five. And I told you guys one's not a, one's not a player. Okay. I, I'm, so I'm cheating. Uh, number one for me is Joe Kim Noah, by far. He's probably my – I want to say even my favorite bowl of all time. I mean, obviously Jordan and Pippen Rodman, but like how that guy just buried his body to, for the city of Chicago. I mean, it basically ruined his career to be honest with you after all those injuries he got in Chicago, just the heart and soul did everything he could to be a top four MVP candidate at one point. And for a guy that didn't average more than I think 12 points a game that season, he just impacted winning so much. Um, so him, uh, Luol Deng was another one of those guys I thought was just a guy that was always overlooked, um, was a glue guy. Um, you know, someone that's not talked about a lot who probably should have their jersey retired too is Horace Grant. Horace Grant was phenomenal for those three first championship runs. Um, I have to stay Steve Kerr because I just love Steve Kerr. And um, my, other, my biggest one is Tibbs. I mean, I never have loved watching a guy coach basketball more in my life than watching Tom Thibodeau three rows up and hearing the things that have come out of his mouth <laughs> during coaching. Um, and not even just that, how he got his guys to guard, especially at that level, um, you know, in, in this current NBA, I mean, obviously this was 10 years ago, but even in that current NBA to have a team guard the way that they did and how a team really bought into everything he did. I thought he was special. And I mean, he's got the Knicks already rolling already. So he's um, I think a lot of people written him off and, He's still a great basketball coach, one of my favorites of all time. So I thought those those 2010 to 2015 Bulls were some of my favorite Bulls to watch. I mean, I think with a lot of people, too. All right, Z, hit it. All right, so I'm going with Andres Nocioni, all right? He was kind of a pest. He was like one of those guys, and I may have been known to be a little bit of instigator as well when I played, right? So he was kind of just one of those guys who, like, was always kind of in somebody's hair, played his tail off. Every once in a while, he'd go off, right? And the, the whole the whole crowd is cheering for him. Um, no, Yoni. Yeah, uh -huh. like, and he just played hard. Like, he just played his tail off. Uh, Lou Aldang, I thought he was always sneaky, right? Like, he, in a game, you didn't really notice him. And then you're like, he's got 10 boards. He's got 18 points, you know, playing playing the best defender. Uh, I had Joaquin uh, as well. This one, typically for his energy right? And his enthusiasm for the game. Um, always liked Taj Gibson because he just kind of went on. So I'm like a tryhard Bulls guy, right? Um, and then the, the last one, and right, this is where my, you can see I got my defensive guys, but the last one was Jamal Crawford. It's good Jamal one. Crawford just had a little bit of shake and like, again, he's a guy, oh, I'm just going to drop 50 tonight. And like, he's dropping 50 and making guys look, look just like they're, you know, high school guys. So that was, that was my last guy. I had some runners up, but that, those are my, those are my top five. So it, it was interesting listening to you guys again. Uh, the only guy that's on all of our lists is Noah. Uh, Noah was definitely on mine. I, I, I just think it, you know, coach Tucker said it perfectly um, to, to kind of go along with those instigators. Uh, like coach Z said with Nocioni, I put Charles Oakley on the list. I just, thought, I, I just thought that was, you want to talk about an instigator. You want to talk about, you want to knock Jordan down? I'm going to knock you down. Um, 
I had, I had Kirk Heinrich on my list. Uh, I just think, you know, he, he, for so many years, you know, he just was like Mr. Bull. Like when, when I thought of the bulls, I always thought of Kirk Heinrich. Now I know we think about all these nineties bulls and, and a horse grant I thought about, but my favorite bull for a while, there was BJ Armstrong loved BJ Armstrong as a point guard. Um, and then I know Z, you put him on your list, but you know, everybody always thinks about the, from Duke, you know, us getting Jay Williams and the motorcycle accident and all that. But I loved Chris Duhon between the D and the key threes. And just when I think of a pure point guard, you know, that's a guy I think of is, is just Duhon. Um, so th- those are mine. Uh, I do. I really liked the, the idea of Thibodeau. And I actually think Scott Skiles, if we want to just talk about the, the coach underrated, I, I thought coach Scott Skiles got a lot out of the, the players that he had. So, uh, but coach, this was, this was so much fun. We, we greatly appreciate, we love having our local Chicago guys on with us. Um, you kind of helped us kick off those local Chicago guys. So we greatly appreciate you taking the time to spend with us this evening to talk a little basketball, not only, you know, nationwide, but, but local for us. So, Thank you for joining us. No, thank you guys. This was honestly, like I said before we even started, this was an honor, man. So if I ever can do anything for this podcast or, you know, you guys already know, coach, you already know if I never need anything, I'm always here, man. And let's talk hoops anytime you guys want off the air, on the air, whatever you want to do, let's do it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout. You can find all of our episodes on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. Thank you for listening.